0: Here we go, man. Okay. I think I'm ready. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Uncovering the Truth in Minnesota. We are an investigative podcast based out of the state of Minnesota. Unconstrained, unbiased, and driven for the truth, follow us as we use journalism to tell the untold stories of Minnesota.
1: The inspiration for the podcast comes from our love for writing. We both always wanted to be able to use journalism on our own terms in order to bring issues to light that we believe haven't received enough public attention.
0: The podcast will feature episodes on current news, Cold Cases, Political Issues, Unsolved Mysteries, Sex Trafficking, The Dark History of Minnesota, and a ton
1: more. So before we get started, guys, we want to introduce ourselves to you so that you can know who you're talking to.
0: Okay, hi guys. That sounded a little scripted, I know. It had to be just so we can introduce ourselves. But I'm Sarah. I'm currently a senior studying journalism at UMD, or the University of Minnesota Duluth. So, I'm a huge lover of cats, books, fashion, and traveling. My perfect afternoon would be spent probably by a fire, drinking a hot cappuccino, petting my little cat Charlie, and reading a new book. I might even do a little online shopping, but you can't tell my parents because I'm supposed to be cutting back on buying you clothes. When I'm not doing all of that or spending quality time with my friends and family, I'm probably reading the New York Times because I'm a journalist like
1: that. (laughs) <laughs> what an excellent introduction sarah <laughs> thank you thank you um my name is isabel johnson i'm also a senior at the university of minnesota duluth which is where sarah and i met um i'll graduate this december with a bachelor's of arts in journalism and a minor in comm. um i became interested in journalism because of my loves of writing and mystery I was a big Nancy Drew fan growing up, and I think that kind of transferred over. Uh, These two loves, along with my family and some good coffee, are what fuel my work, I think. When I'm not working, I'm usually spending time with my friends and family, watching my latest Netflix binge, or listening to music and reading.
0: So I bet you are wondering what we're going to dive into for the first topic of our episode.
1: After combing through, countless topic ideas, we have quite the Google Doc going, (laughs) Um, we decided to first speak about the 2012 and 2015 D-plus rating for corruption risk that Minnesota received from the Center of Public Integrity.
0: Yeah, you heard that right. Minnesota got a D, and it's pretty much as bad as it sounds. According to a 2012 City Pages article, the D-grade reflects Minnesota's potential for corruption rather than its actual corruption. But like, what does that actually mean? First, let's look into the breakdown of 2015, because that's the most recent rating. So for 2015, Minnesota overall got a D minus, and we ranked 28th overall. Um, We're going to read through each little criteria because they each got a different grade. And then for the sake of time at the end, we're only going to focus on the ones that got Fs. So the first one is public access information, and we got an F
1: in that. Then there's political financing. We got a D plus.
0: Electoral oversight, B minus, so not too bad.
1: Executive accountability, an F.
0: Legislative accountability,
1: F. State civil service management, D minus.
0: Procurement, D.
1: Internal auditing, B.
0: Lobbying disclosure, D minus.
1: Ethics Enforcement Agencies, F.
0: State Pension Fund Management, F. So, yeah,
1: we didn't do the best.
0: We only got two Bs, so not the greatest. Um, But why did Minnesota get this rating in the first place? From this 2015 rating by the Center for Public Integrity, we can see that Minnesota really has been lacking in ethics enforcement, excuse me, Executive accountability, (laughs) judicial accountability, public access to information, state pension fund management, and legislative accountability. And those, to reiterate, those are the ones we got the F in. Katie G. Nelson for the Center for Public Integrity said that, quote, While state laws require that nearly all executive branch and local government meetings are open to the public, Legislative rules say meetings must be open to the public only if a quorum is present and the group intends to take action on an issue within its jurisdiction. The effect is that small groups of legislators can meet in private to discuss legislation without needing to inform the public, end quote. So basically, this means that behind-the-scenes work in legislative ruling leads to the public being pretty much uninformed on issues that could potentially directly involve them. Nelson continued to say, quote, at the center of all of it is Minnesota's Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board, which has a broad set of responsibilities. Among its many tasks, the board is charged with auditing asset disclosure forms, moderating gifts to public officials, end quote. Nelson went on to explain that, Quote, the board suffers from chronic understaffing and a fiscal dependence on this legislator for example. The result is that the board generally audits officials at set disclosure forms only when it's tipped off to potential misconduct end quote. So basically that means any wrongdoing by legislators is only caught after the fact and not before. So who are those legislators and people in the seats of power during 2015? Well, let's go through the list. Full disclosure, um, if I pronounce any of the names incorrectly, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> it's not, not our strong No. <laughs> Doing the best we can. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we have Kurt Dot. He was the Republican House Speaker at the time, and he still is the, the House Speaker for District 31A. And then we have Joyce Pepin. She was the House Majority Leader at the time. She resigned, um, so she's not in any political figure position anymore. Um, Currently, it's Christine Robbins, and she's the Republican District for a 34A. Then we have David Hahn. He was the Senate Minority Leader. Um, The public actually voted him out, and the current state Minority Leader is Steve... C. Wodiski. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Steve. (laughs) Okay. And then we have Tom Bach. Um, He was and still is the Senate majority leader. Um, We have Tina Smith. She was the lieutenant governor at the time, and now she's the junior state senator and is running for re-election. We have Mark Dayton. He was the governor at the time. He has retired. And now, of course, the governor of Minnesota is Tim Walls. and then lastly we have Paul Thesen, Thesen, sorry Paul, he was the House Minority Leader. He is currently a jurist serving as an Associate Justice of the Minnesota Supreme Court.
1: So it's clear from the rating and the research that we provided you with that Minnesota has a lot of work to do when it comes to the state's integrity. So our question when we read this was what if anything has changed since then?
0: So basically, we are going to do a deeper dive into the main issues Minnesota needed to work on after, well, the really dissatisfying rating came out. First, let's look at the main issue of public access to information. According to the Center for Public Integrity, the main reason for the failing grade that Minnesota received was that there was not an entity or entities to monitor the application of access to information laws. This means that there was no law granting a government entity the authority to independently initiate investigations into alleged violations of the Freedom of Information Act and to sanction offenders.
1: So let's look at the current laws regarding these issues. The current Minnesota sections 13.02 to 13.06 state that the responsible authority shall have the authority to A. Implement the Act and these rules in each entity. B, make good faith attempts to resolve all administration controversies arising from the entity's practices of creation, collection, use, and dissemination of data. C, prescribe changes to the administration of the entity's programs, procedures, and design forms to bring those activities into compliance with the Act and with this chapter. D, take all administrative actions necessary to comply with the general requirements of the Act. And E, where necessary, direct des- designees to perform the detailed requirements of the act and this chapter under the general supervision of the responsible authority. All right. Now, that all sounds pretty good, but the Center for Public Integrity stated that the issue in 2015 was that, quote, there were no laws requiring the responsible authority initiate investigations into alleged, affi- alleged violations. In essence, they would be initiating an investigation into their own entity, and neither can sanction offenders, end quote. So basically what they're saying is that we have laws that require there be access to public information or public access to information, but there's no one designated to look into violations of withholding information. And if there is, it could be seen as a conflict of interest because they're looking into their own branch of government. It would appear that this is still a case today seeing as the specific law has not been amended since 2007. And this investigation was done in 2015. So in addition to all this, according to the investigation, there was also no law that required the government to publish information in an online format. So basically that means that there's no law saying the government has to put all this information somewhere that's easily accessible to the public. They could have it stored in the courthouse on paper files and we'd have to go there to find it. So we talked to Catherine Bielka, I also don't know if I said that right. (laughs) We're sorry, Catherine. Sorry, Catherine. (laughs) Quote, generally, the Data Practices Act contains classifications of government data, the public presumption, and governs data practices requests. The Data Practices Act does not require that public data be published online, but you are able to make data requests to any Minnesota government entity, and public data is available for anyone for any reason. If a government entity determines that responsive data to requests are not public, it must provide you the statutory section that contains the not-public classification when withholding the data." What all this basically means is that the public can access government data, but sometimes they may have to request it or go through a designated authority in order to gain access. Today's records state that there is still no law that requires this information to be published in an online format. 2019 statutes state that, quote, all government data collected, created, received, maintained, or disseminated by a government entity shall be public unless classified by statute or temporary classification pursuant to Section 13.06, or federal law, as non-public or protected non-public, or with respect to data on individuals as private or confidential. The responsible authority in every government entity shall keep records containing government data in such an arrangement and condition as to make them easily accessible for convenient use. Photographic, photostatic, microphotographic, or microfilmed records shall be considered as accessible for convenient use, regardless of the size of such records, end quote. So basically that means that they could be stored in a photograph, in a file, in a courthouse and not online and they'd still be considered technically accessible to the public.
0: Okay guys, (laughs) now let's take a look into the issue of executive accountability. In 2015, the Center for Public Integrity, there they are again, reported that there were no restrictions for the governor and the state cabinet level officials entering the private sector after leaving the government. This means that many government officials went straight from the legislator to lobbying. There was also no proof that the governor and the state cabinet level officials adhered to the law governing private sector employment after leaving office.
1: So our research into the Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board shows no current law that prohibits these actions. In fact, the Center for Public Integrity, our best friends, tells us <laughs> that in Minnesota, it is common for members of the executive branch to take positions in the private sector that entail lobbying or influ- influencing former government colleagues. So the Center for Public Integrity states that Tim Pawlenty, who is a former public- Republican Minnesota state senator and governor of Minnesota, was the chief executive officer of the Financial Services Roundtable, which is a Washington organization that advocates for the U.S. financial services industry. And he was there in 2015. And another example is John Chilgo, former director of the Minnesota State Department of Transportation, who left his government position at MnDOT to become the vice president of transportation and structural engineering at WSB and Associates, which is a civil engineering and design firm in 2015. This could be seen as a problem because the government officials could continue to push through their agendas in other ways after they have left office. We'll let you, the listeners, decide for yourselves how big of an issue you think this is.
0: Okay, so the next issue that Minnesota received an F grade back in 2015 is the issue of legislative accountability. The issues found on this front are the same as they were with the executive accountability issues of officials being allowed to enter that private sector after leaving office. However, there is the additional problem of legislative officials being allowed to use state resources for, yeah, personal reasons.
1: Current legislative code of ethics states that state legislators may not use state funds or property for personal reasons, but there's no guideline addressing that all state resources cannot be used for personal reasons. However, the Center for Public Integrity did acknowledge that, quote, Many government officials interpret Minnesota statutes, chapter 34A, section 43A38, known as the Code of Ethics for Employees in the Executive Branch, as applying to all levels of the government rather than just the Executive Branch, end quote. So that statute that they're referring to states, quote, An employee shall not use or allow the use of state time, supplies, or state-owned or leased property and equipment for the employee's private interests or any other use not in the interest of the state except as provided by law, end quote. So, but let's remember that that applies only to executive officials and not the legislators. But what they're saying is that people in the other branches take that and they use it for all the branches, but it's not a law that they can't.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So another complaint against the legislative branch by the Center for Public Integrity was the issue of conflict of
1: interest. The investigation stated that they found legislative members often failed to be punished for issues involving conflict of interest. So a specific case of this that was cited was in 2015 when Minnesota Senator David Tomasani, I don't know if I said that right, Sorry, was... (laughs) was slated to take a job as the executive director of the Range Association of Municipalities and Schools, which lobbies at the Capitol for the funding of Northern Minnesota schools. (laughs) This is an obvious conflict of interest and rising pressure eventually forced the senator to step down from the leadership role at the Range Association of Municipalities and Schools. All right, so the next F grading that we will be talking about is the F grade that
0: judicial accountability got. The Center for Public Integrity discovered that consistent with other branches, members of the judicial branch are not restricted from entering the private sector after leaving office. They also found that there was no official process in place for evaluating the performances of judges or giving citizens access to these performance reviews.
1: So we did some digging to see if this is still a case and as far as we could find it is. If there are evaluations of judges completed and available to the public, they're not easy to find. As far as entering the private sector after leaving office goes, most judges do not lobby after they leave the judicial system, but it's possible that they could if they so desired.
0: Now let's take a look at how the ethics enforcement agencies are run in Minnesota. Here we go again. The Center for Public Integrity cited the following reasons as justification for the failing grade in this department. In law, the ethics entity or entities does not have an independently allocated budget. There are no laws prohibiting members of the ethics entity from entering the private sector after leaving office. Ethics disclosures are not independently audited and the records of the members of the ethics entity are not available to the public.
1: Since 2015, not much has changed. The ethics sector goes through the same budget process as the other branches, with no set amount of funds designated to them each year. So this means that if the ethics sector didn't get approved for their budget, they could get less money than they need to function properly. Each branch of the Minnesota government is overseen by a different ethics committee, sometimes more than one. For example, the Minnesota House of Representatives is overseen by an ethics committee while the Senate has an ethical conduct subcommittee. Access to who sits on these committees is available to the public, but the records of the members and their activity is not widely available in all cases. Asset disclosure forms are available for most members on the Minnesota Campaign Finance and Public Disclosure Board's website, but the website can be difficult to operate for those who are not familiar with it. I tried and struggled very hard, so I can tell you it's not easy to dig up dirt on these people or anything really regarding the different ethics committees and subcommittee members. There is no current law that prohibits ethic members from entering the private sector after leaving office.
0: Okay, guys, we made it. The final area of the investigation that we will address is of the state pension fund management. They found that there were no laws preventing decision-makers at state-run pension funds from entering the public sector after leaving office. In addition, there was no law that agents that provided state pensions to businesses had to disclose all fees and terms for providing those services. Also, it was believed that not all of the laws around the handling of state pension funds were clear and effective.
1: We found no new evidence in our research that shows that these things have changed. The Minnesota State Board of Investment invests all statewide public pension funds, but agents of external contract investment firms may handle funds as well, and these people are not required to register with the state. So this could lead to some cloudiness when it comes to exactly what is done with the funds and the terms of receiving a pension.
0: Okay, so as I mentioned before, Minnesota receiving the D-grade made it that we ranked 28th out of the 50 states but I guess we didn't look into what the other states got so let's do that 34 of the states also got a D 13 of the states got an F however three states received a C which isn't that bad (laughs) you know Um, those states were Alaska Connecticut and California So yeah, no one, no state got an A or a B, which is kind of concerning. And I guess the big question now is when will the next rating be and how will Minnesota fare?
1: So unfortunately there's no updated rating for Minnesota since 2015, which is why we've been going off of all that data. And currently there are no plans to conduct another investigation. Mi Fong from the Center for Public Integrity said, quote, we don't have any immediate plans, alas, It was a very ambitious project to undergo, requiring huge resources, although clearly it was one with a long-lasting impact, end quote. So that concludes our dive into Minnesota's integrity within the system and provides a cushion for why we wanted to start this podcast.
0: Okay, so personally, I find it a little concerning that, and they're not going to like put any more resources to do this in 2020 so I mean five years later and they don't have any future plans of doing another rating to me that seems a little odd just because this is all stuff that affects the public directly and it also affects how our government runs so I just don't like that
1: (laughs) yeah I mean what I found really interesting is I didn't even know all the different state pension fund management I mean we struggled hard to even understand what those laws meant. So, and pension fund is like, that's part of retirement plans and that kind of stuff. So I feel like people should really know where that money is going and what's happening with it. And I didn't even know really what it was before we did this. So I think that that like, I think that the Center for Public Integrity did a really great job of breaking it down though and making it like digestible for everyone. Because when I was reading what their website did, it seemed pretty simple. And then when I went and read the actual laws myself, I was super confused.
0: And I think the next one needs a ton more press because I didn't even know that the Center for In Public Integrity did ratings until we were looking up ideas for the podcast. And I just happened upon this information, which I mean, this yeah. is a huge thing for people to know, but I didn't. And everyone else I've talked to had no idea. So I think the press really needs to be able to have a new set of data to grab onto. I mean, that's why we're doing it, but
1: you know. <laughs> yeah. So basically, hopefully the goal of this podcast, if or hopefully what this podcast is will do is bring to light issues like this that people don't really even know about. And so then they can be talked about more. So now hopefully, even if, I mean, only like, even if only 10 people listen to this, then those 10 people know that they're what issues are happening with the state's integrity. And that's 10 more people that know that they could possibly be lobbying with a former judge. You know, it's just (laughs) things like
0: that. I mean, yeah, exactly. Those 10 people, you're welcome. Thank you for listening.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, we will be putting out new episodes every mm-hmm, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And um, we hope to dig into a lot more topics. Um, we hope to talk to a lot of people. Hopefully we'll be able to get some recorded interviews coming up pretty soon and throw those in there. And we just want to hear people's stories and what you have to say. So if you have a tip or idea for a story or anything like that, um, you can email us at uncoveringtruthmn at gmail. Um, otherwise, we have social accounts on Twitter and Instagram that you can also just DM to if that's easier. We also um, would like to start featuring a missing person um, every on every episode so that we can bring attention to people who have recently gone missing in the state of Minnesota so that everyone can kind of keep their eyes and ears aware of that. So if you... Um, have the unfortunate circumstance of knowing someone who's gone missing you can email us that information or message us that information and we'll get it on the podcast for you and on yes, our social yes media. it's super
0: important we want to help you solve or move along any missing person cases and don't forget to follow our socials we have an instagram and twitter and both of them are uncovering the truth mn and we also want to say a huge thank you to our sponsor daily planet
1: dc thank you (laughs) yeah the daily planet is an awesome platform if you enjoy news or comics or reviews anything like that lots of phenomenal writers and great content on there you can find them at dailyplanetdc.com I also want to thank Carly Cruz. She is a graphic design student at UMD and she did our logo for us. You can find her at um, Instagram and Twitter. Her Instagram handle is Carly, K A R L I underscore final version dot A I, and her art account is Carly Ann, that's K A R L I A N N dot J P G. And her Twitter is it's underscore rad underscore Carl, K-A-R-L. So go check out her work. She's awesome. So, Amazing. Thank you, Carly. Um, you'll hear from us very soon. We hope to hear from you guys. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>